0: Hello, and welcome to Unlikable Female Characters, the podcast featuring feminist thriller writers, and conversation about women who don't give a damn if you like them. I'm Lane Fargo, and I'm here with Kristen LaBianca. Hello. And Wendy Hurd. Hello. And as we're recording this, um, it is the day after Daylight Savings Time, so we all got up really early to, well, it's not that early where I am, but like it feels <laughs> early when you lost an hour. Yes. Yeah. It should be illegal. I hate daylight savings time.
1: It is weird. And I am uh, fresh off of a vacation in Arizona, which I learned does not do daylight savings time.
2: No, they're like right on the edge there. So oh like God. they Let's just all like, move there.
1: They just don't do it, which is crazy. Um, and it's a great idea. It is. <laughs> <laughs> you should have stayed there. <laughs> I really should have. If I didn't miss my cats, I probably would have. They would like it there too. I know. We we keep talking about maybe spending our winters out there in the future. Ooh, snowbirds. Um, yes, because it's marvelous and both Joanna and I work from home, so why Oh not?
2: right. I forgot. That's amazing.
1: Yes.
0: Anyway, by the time this airs in I guess sometime in April, daylight savings will be old news, but we're mad about it now. But I think <laughs> that our crankiness will only serve us well for this episode because this week, instead of talking about uh, unlikable female characters, as we usually do, we are going to talk about some very unlikable men. <laughs>
1: <laughs> unlikable real men, real not characters. Men. Not
0: characters. We wish they were characters. And if they were characters in a book, you would be like, this sounds fake. This yes. cannot not possibly <laughs> be realistic. But it is. It's true. Um, so, Wendy, do you want to
2: kick off talking about our first very unlikable man? Yes, the first unlikable man we're going to talk about today, you knew we had to go here eventually, was the Dan Mallory New Yorker piece. Um, yeah, for those who don't know, Dan Mallory is the real name of AJ Finn, the author of Woman in the Window. And that was a huge debut um, that released in 2017. Am I right about that? It was a 2017 book or was it 2018? I think um, 17, I think so. 17. 17. Um, And that book famously went to auction. I think that the advance on that book was like $2 million. Um, I mean, the advertising, the marketing for that book was was huge. I remember seeing uh, pictures of the marketing on like the tube in London, like down the tube line. You know what I'm Mm -hmm. saying? Those huge. I mean, just everywhere. Billboards. I mean, this was like going to be the hot book of... Of that, of you know, the genre I write in, and and the lane, and you guys write in pretty much too, right? Like this is going to be like the psych thriller mm-hmm. of the decade. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so one thing that people who don't have a connection to publishing might not have known was that the author A.J. Finn was that was the pen name for an editor. Um, you know, A.J. Finn was really Dan Mallory, and Dan Mallory was an editor, and I believe it was um pretty well known that his own publishing house had purchased the book and so that was kind of a thing you know what I mean like everybody was like wow that that's just a weird thing but for those of us who aren't intimately familiar with publishing that's pretty much all we knew you know that's Mm -hmm. all I knew um you, you guys too right yeah, I mean, yeah. when I first
0: heard of the book and I saw, he did an event in Chicago, mm-hmm. um, I think at the Writers Museum with Gillian Flynn, and I remember seeing ads for it, and I was like, how did this debut author get <laughs> yeah. Gillian Flynn to like do an event with him and had like a blurb from her and
2: everything? And then I found out who he really was, and I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> and he had a blurb from Stephen King, and I mean, this book was, was set to hit, you know, and it did hit. It was a huge book, um, and so... As time went on, this New Yorker piece came out and sort of, I would say, scandalized everybody because (laughs) it collected all these stories about Dan Mallory, put them in one place. And this author of this article did like an investigative journalism dive into Dan Mallory and started, went all the way back to his college application, wherein he he made up, I mean, it turned out, according to this article, that there were claims of fake cancer, dead parents <laughs> that were never dead, you know, a brother with, I think he claimed had cystic fibrosis, just endless lie after lie after lie. And fast forward to, you know, I guess him working and publishing, claiming to have a double doctorate one from oxford
0: does he and even have a single doctorate no
1: <laughs>
2: zero doctorates okay so i'm trying not to interject opinions but i just want to say that when i worked in food service they checked my college transcripts when i got a job at coffee bean so <laughs> to, to hear that like this senior editor had a fake doctorate from oxford that that was just okay like no, i don't get it like nobody checked and i feel like that's maybe my entry point into saying like things that I can't imagine ever happening to me. I can't imagine ever saying I had a doctorate and having someone not check it, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Well yeah, just
1: the, the audacity to make up such grandiose lies and like it's like it's twofold because one, he had the balls to say these things, but also everyone around him just believed him.
2: Right. Like who checked?
1: like and he's charismatic,
2: right? right? Mm-hmm. So
1: He's, like, conventionally attractive.
2: Uh-huh. So, you know, continuing on with the article, um, you know, he ha- so he has his fake doctorate. He goes into publishing. And I guess that, I mean, I don't even know. There's so much in this article, it's hard to know where to begin. Um, do you begin with his claims that he had cancer when he didn't? His own fake cancer? <laughs> do you begin with the the brother who he invented an email address for and then, like, emailed his colleagues to talk about how brave he was in his cancer fight. Well, he was, like,
0: not showing up to work a lot, yeah. too, right? Because of his cancer, cancer. supposedly. Um, people were giving him a lot of slack, but he would just not show up to work for long stretches, and his coworkers would get emails from his brother with updates, which were, like, it sounds like he was writing them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, just, yeah, the audacity of it, like... On some level, you have to admire it a little yeah. bit. It's so <laughs> insane. It's just like to be so confident that you can get away with things. I, I, I mean, I wish I felt that way. I mean, we talk a lot amongst ourselves as we're, you know, working on this podcast or on our books or whatever about um, mediocre white man confidence, yeah. <laughs> just basically just like jumping in and doing things and assuming that they'll work out okay instead of second guessing yourself all the time. And he right. is like the ultimate expression of mediocre white man confidence he just like really went for it
2: yeah in a big way i mean like this is someone who invented stories about being locked in a bathroom he invented i mean there are endless things that were just invented for showmanship i think and then there was this is kind of a buried there were two things in this article i felt like y'all would be really we we would have a lot to unpack there but there was the one where he gets an he gets a raise to $200,000 a year, right? Mm-hmm. Do you remember mm-hmm. that number? I'll, I can check the article. I think it was $200,000 a year. But he still, people were complaining that he still wasn't doing his own editing. He still <laughs> wasn't doing his own work. After fighting for this like promotion and this raise, he still kept passing his work off to other people. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and that I found was interesting because I feel like if a woman works hard to get a promotion, she feels sort of like, obligated to really earn it. You know, you feel mm-hmm. like you really need to earn your money and your time is really your employers. You feel very, you know, like does that make sense? Like you really yeah. feel I would never pass work off to someone else and then claim it no. as my own. It's that entitlement. That yeah. Means, like you're more important than everybody
0: else. Um and women are not encouraged to think of themselves that way. Right. And really like there is Like, I think we could all use more confidence and audacity, but then there's just being a dick, (laughs) which this guy definitely is. I mean, he was lying and using people and, like, climbing over people to get where he is now, which is still on top. Like, his publisher has not dropped him. There Mm -hmm. is a movie coming out of The Woman in the Window later this year starring Amy Adams and, uh, wasn't Gary Oldman in that, too? He's a dirtbag also, so, like, that's appropriate. (laughs) But I'm sorry, Amy Adams has to work with these people. Right. (laughs) Um he's got another book coming out next mm-hmm. year. Like there really hasn't been any consequence for this and I think a lot of this stuff was well known in the publishing industry. It was just that this New Yorker reporter like collected it all in one place.
2: That's what it felt it. like. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah, like everyone had their own Dan Mallory anecdotes that maybe out of context were just like well that guy's, well, you know, there's something strange about that guy, but then when you put them all together, it tells a really crazy story.
2: Mm-hmm. yeah and I think um I was I think we are all fascinated by the cups of pee I think, <laughs> oh, we, God. I think we just want it
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah so that part is the like, just most insane part of the article that he was he was like using his boss's office, office like when she was out of the office and they people kept finding cups of pee all over the office and like he denies having,
2: but like who else would it right. come so, in? but
0: like why would you do that it's like a marking your territory
2: thing. okay I don't know I was telling this to someone and to like a small group of people I think I was at like a, a a party or like a friend's house or something and I was like publishing's wild right now there's this guy he's leaving cups of pee and this man says to me how do you know it wasn't a woman leaving cups of <laughs> pee <laughs> And I was like, oh, my
1: God, I'm sorry.
2: Are you telling me that you think a woman disrobed from the waist down to squat over a coffee cup with pee running down her butt cheeks? Are you serious? Women do not have a historical past of marking our territory with pee. It's not a thing for us.
1: No, no, oh, my God.
2: But I don't understand this world I live in that I have to explain to men that it's not us. We're not. We're not leaving the cups of pee. <laughs>
1: oh, God. It's <laughs> not us. I mean, it's like you, like, there are certain things that you, you kind of assume are, like, a given that everyone understands. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that's one of them. Like, n- no one could possibly think a woman would do that. But, of course, a man thought that. How
2: does he think <laughs> it would happen? <laughs> the The from- logistics alone. <laughs>
1: the- <laughs> Oh my God, that's just, I can't can't even.
0: I have to say, so this story broke uh, in a week when something was going on with my book, which I won't go into here, but uh, that necessitated me pushing back against my publisher in a way that I hadn't before. And I was like so stressed out, like losing sleep, that I might come across as difficult or a diva or like I'm making too many Mm -hmm. demands as a debut author and then this story comes out and I'm just like fucking Dan Mallory (laughs) leaving cups of pee all over the office lying about everything and he is like a multi-millionaire super successful and I'm sitting here like, stressing that I made what was a very reasonable request, I think. But this is the stuff, like, women tie ourselves in knots. And we kind of – it's not an unfounded fear. It's very easy to be uh, deemed difficult as a woman. Like, you barely have to do anything. Just, like, don't smile at someone when they think you should and you're difficult. Like, that's it.
1: Well, right. Or, like, you have a strong opinion and you're suddenly, like – too emotional or you're disagreeable no one wants to work with someone disagreeable i know that in my uh past life as a corporate america marketing employee um that that was something that i encountered all the time was like having conflicts with very disagreeable men who took the point of view of i can't i can't work with her she's getting too emotional and it's like are you kidding me you're the one who's like sitting there scowling you know but for some reason like women are supposed to be nice and polite and um generous with our time and we're supposed to just do whatever like take whatever is given to us and be happy with it gratefully yes and graciously um and then you know so we do things like agonize over the wording of an email when there's oh God, you know every day <laughs> every day and then there's Dan Mallory just making up dead relatives and peeing in cups and it's just like <laughs> he didn't stop for one second to think about how he was going to be perceived but that's something that we are so painfully cognizant of all the time
2: yeah yeah and then it's like if you go too far the other way I've I've I'm always insecure that if I go too far the other way and I'm like very nice and my voice is too high-pitched, and then I'm, like, not going to be taken very seriously. But if I go too far the other way, then people aren't going to like me. They're going to think I'm, you know, grumpy, bitch face, whatever.
1: Right. You know what I'm saying? There's, like, a very narrow space in which we are – we feel like we're supposed to exist and behave in. And it's, like, so radically different from the experience of white guys like Dan Mallory, who's just mm-hmm. – all over the place and did not give a shit and neither did anybody else.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And he also fits into this kind of general trend that's going on right now in psychological thrillers, suspense, where men are adopting um, gender neutral or even like feminine sounding pen names and then writing books with female protagonists kind of aimed at the female readership of psychological thrillers Mm -hmm. and suspense And, uh, like making a lot of money, like in some cases, much more money than women who are writing the same kind of books (laughs) are. And, you know, we, some of, some of these, uh, male authors who have the more gender neutral pen names, like we're big fans of, like, we're not trying to (laughs) rag on all of those guys like Riley Sager who wrote Final Girls. I love that book. Um, I'm a big fan of JP Delaney. Um, there's a lot of really great authors who are doing that and it's, yeah, not a slam on them at all, but it is an interesting trend overall, I think.
2: Well, I think one thing that I was a bit fascinated by was this one it's kind of like a hidden thing in this article, but it's talking about how he he's trying to negotiate himself a higher offer so he makes up a competing offer and then when he gets caught because publishing is a very small world, especially at that like CEO executive level um, he says that the person who made the offer, is lying because he once rejected a sexual proposition from that person and then it was like <laughs> carry on then where do you know what i'm saying like it's just things that could never happen to us things that would never work for us ever
0: no because if you made that kind of claim you, like as a woman you would get blamed for you'd be like well what were you wearing
2: what did
1: exactly you say? what did you do like yeah, yeah it would always How was this your you. fault yeah mm-hmm. exactly
2: and the rumor mill would start. It's not like people would just keep that under wraps until right. the New Yorker came asking,
1: right? Like that could be a like that could ruin your reputation across forever. The yeah, yeah,
0: forever. Mm. Do we want to talk about the woman in the window a little bit, Wendy? I think you had some um, well, yeah, to share
2: there. So if you haven't read the woman in the window, it's about a an agoraphobic woman and. Um, She sees something out of her window because she spends her days looking out her window and the cops don't believe her because she's agoraphobic. She's addicted to a couple substances, et cetera. And the article made a couple claims of um, not necessarily plagiarism, but like borrowing of ideas from a a movie and a book that Kristen actually did the research and read. But this book, without knowing any of that, um, there, there were some things that just I think that women or a little bit, I don't know, like he's got this main character, she's um, described as being, let's see here, Uh, let's find, let's, where is this one, dimples stipple my thighs, skin almost luridly pale, veins flowing violet within my arms and legs, dimples, stipples, stubble, wrinkles, I need work, Wrinkles like uh. spokes around my eyes, a slur of dark hair, tiered here and there with grey, loose about my shoulders, stubble in the scoop of my armpit. And it just the way he and, and so I'm like, God, this main character is just like 60, right? 70, you know? She's like and he keeps <laughs> describing how how she's let herself go, her <laughs> belly has become slack. There's one part where she's attracted to the guy who kind of rents out the basement, but then She's like, no one will ever want me, you know, at my age and how I've let myself go. And it had been like a year since there was like a horrible accident. So she's gotten here in a year. I'm mm-hmm. like, God, this woman, you know, no, if, you know, I'm, I'm trying to picture the main character. I'm like, maybe in her 50s, 60s, something like that, right? The the woman is 38 years old (laughs) and I'm reading this novel 38 years old. And I'm, you know, I'm like,
1: (laughs) a withered crone. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's like his disdain for women is quite apparent. Uh, But I also think there is this element of like, he's like, he's like trying something weird, like trying to like cash in on. Insecurities of of his yeah. readers and like oh I'm making this woman disgustingly relatable, right? You know,
2: so relatable. But like if <laughs> if you read um the okay the okay I'm trying to think Paula Hawkins I feel like did did the same thing with her main character but better. Do you know what I'm saying? So much like, better. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like she did a thing where she had a main character who had been kind of ravaged by alcoholism and then um. You know, her body had changed. Like she talked about that, and how she was kind of struggling with that. You know, she really got went into that. I felt like in mm-hmm. a way that felt, I don't know, human. You yeah, know what I mean,
0: it didn't feel. Uh, it was more about the alcoholism, and she would like put on some weight and let herself go that way. Where in Woman in the Window, it seems like he's just talking about how old and gross she is yeah. and she's 38 and being played by amy adams right. in, <laughs> in the movie who's like a total babe i'm sure they'll try and make amy adams look frumpy but like it's impossible good luck yeah i know yeah
2: and there was this part this is a spoiler so feel free to skip this part listener if you don't want a spoiler but there's a part where um the main character run had run her car off the road and then her husband and daughter are injured. Do you remember that part? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so I'm a mom and like that part of the book was really hard for me because the main character doesn't do anything to try to save her daughter who's small enough to be carried, you know, and I just kept thinking if this were my daughter, there's no way I would just lay her out in the snow and be like, well, that's a mountain. I can't do anything about this. I'm not, you know, that's a big hill and and I'm tired. Like, no, you you try to get your kid up the hill. Like, it's not like they're on the Grand Canyon. They she drove off the mountain and people climb mountains. People go hiking. I don't understand. <laughs> I was so confused and angry that about that particular portrayal of motherhood because moms will, moms are are beasts. You know what I mean? Like we will strap that kid onto our back and climb a mountain. Yes, absolutely. We will. Like I felt upset about that personally. Yeah he clearly
1: did not he does not understand women at all. That no, makes it all, all the more infuriating that he wrote this massively successful book that not only like yes it did explode in a big way and it had tons of sales but it also had so much money put behind it so that's yeah. what's infuriating like you know no one like People read the book and they liked it. It's very suspenseful. I will give it that. It's kind of a a joyless suspense. Like, it feels like it was created in a laboratory to be exactly what it is. Like, it doesn't feel like he had any excitement when writing it. He just was, like, writing the thing that would sell, which it did. But, like, his publisher, like, went to bat for it in an insane way. And that's the part that's messed up when women are the ones buying this book, but he doesn't understand women at all.
2: Yeah, yeah. In a way that's, to be honest, kind of hurtful. It's like, is this what you guys think of us? Right. Like, you don't understand at all, you know, that feeling of of like not being seen and still and feeling put down, mm-hmm. you know, is kind of how I felt reading that book. Like, I feel like this woman has a doctorate. This is a smart woman, you know, like I felt I felt put down.
0: Yeah, that like loathing of, of women that's so yes. apparent in his writing is really disturbing. And makes this a lot different from some of those other authors we mentioned who um write female driven thrillers like they write well-defined female characters and you know maybe they don't get like every little thing right but they obviously like have respect for women and care about portraying them accurately it's not just this um kind of cashing in on a trend right yeah the woman in the window feels like this total paint by numbers like you have all these elements and put them in a blender and come up with a successful thriller. But, you know, it worked, I guess.
1: So, What do we
2: think about... Kristen, do you want to speak to the research you did this last week or so?
1: Yes. So the New Yorker article references the movie Copycat, which is like a mid-90s thriller starring um, Sigourney Weaver and Holly Hunter. And, um, like, the, the setup of the story and ultimately its conclusion are different. But one very curious thing that woman in the window seems to borrow from the movie is that it features an agoraphobic psychologist who like communicates with the world through an agoraphobia chat room. Like that's a very specific detail Mm. and there that's in both of these works, which is really like kind of odd. And the, the movie copycat also includes as the book does a scene where the main character in her nightgown, like, goes outside and suffers a panic attack.
2: Oh, right.
1: So, like, that's also in this movie, <laughs> which is, there's, it's just kind of, like, strange. I mean, in the movie Sigourney Weaver, she's the main character. She's, like, a, a forensic psychologist who was attacked by a serial killer. So, it's, like, a very different t- type of story in its core. But some of these peripheral details about Her agoraphobia and this anxiety and the drinking to combat said anxiety, like all of that is very much in this movie That is, it's very odd that so much of it seems to have been borrowed. And I mean, again, that was from like the mid 90s. So clearly it predates the the idea for this book.
0: Yeah. The fact that it's called Copycat, like you can't make this shit. I know.
1: (laughs) I know. You really can't. Um. And on the note of that movie, if you if you haven't seen it or uh, haven't seen it recently, I do recommend watching it because Holly Hunter and Sigourney Weaver inexplicably have amazing charisma. Oh. Uh, I don't know why it's not there. There's not like a a romance between them. They just have like on screen chemistry. Like whoa, we can uh,
2: pretend that off screen there was a romance between. Yes,
1: them. let's do that. Um, <laughs> but so so the uh, the New Yorker article alleges that a lot was borrowed from that movie, which is true. And there was a piece in the New York Times talking about another book, which is called Saving April by Sarah A. Denzil. And I read that yesterday on the plane home from Arizona to see if it was really so similar. And like, as a disclaimer, like we cannot know how these, these two ideas came to be, but um, Saving April was published first. There is some claim from, Dan Mallory's camp that he had a fully developed outline before the book was published or whatever. But I mean, again, remember, this is a guy who worked in publishing. It's not out of the question that he, you know, could have seen a draft or an outline or something, whatever. But the similarities are uncanny. So both books feature a woman whose husband and daughter were killed in a car accident that was her fault. That occurred when she was fighting with her husband regarding infidelity. Okay. So, (laughs) both both of those things are the same. Flash forward a few years, and uh, the main character is a shut in who drinks a lot and is afraid to leave her house. And she becomes obsessed with her new neighbors, an unhappily married couple. Who what? have an adopted teenage child. No! <laughs> no. Yes! It's crazy! Um, oh my god. And in Saving April, the, the, the teenager is uh, a girl. That's April. Um, in Woman in the Window, it's a, a teenage boy. And like in the A.J. Finn's book, uh, the main character witnesses a thinks she witnesses a murder right and in yeah. saving april what she sees is not a murder but she sees something that makes her call the police that the police don't believe her it's like <laughs> it is uncanny um and then in the end it turns out that these uh t- these teenagers wh- whom the main characters thought needed help are actually like evil psychopaths who torture animals
2: Hmm. okay so
0: was the twist as predictable in this other book because in woman in the window i like called well, it there so were
2: like two early. characters to choose from so it was like it's this one or that one yeah right it was that one
1: well so i think um saving april is a better book it is written by a woman and uh it you it does not have the same disdain for women another thing that it has going for it is that it's it has dual point of view um the this shut-in lady hannah and the the mother of the the family across the street, Laura. Oh, so they cool. are both represented. So the story is a bit more complete, and it has less like flopping around, looking at how you know what a hag she is in the mirror. <laughs> um, and I knew that I knew that the twist. I knew what it was when I read it because I had read this New York Times piece. Uh, so it's hard for me to say if it was as predictable, but I do think. The way it came together was a lot more interesting. And if uh, someone is interested in reading this story, I highly recommend reading Saving April instead <laughs> uh, because <laughs> the thing about it that is really upsetting is that this author, Sarah Denzel, who is a, a British young adult author, uh, Sarah Dalton is her her young adult writing name. Um, she has had people think that her book is the, the copycat. Yeah which is so that's so messed up that you know her book was published first yet people because her book was not as as successful even though her book was successful it was like an amazon bestseller and yeah um but
0: yeah i'd never heard of it before all this and i'm assuming that's true for a lot of other people too where woman in the window is unavoidable because of all the marketing money thrown at it and yes it's just kind of infuriating. It's um I mean we know publishing is not a meritocracy and it's not always the best books that are best sellers. Like we know that, but this mm-hmm. is such a glaring example of it that it's just yes. very infuriating. And
1: like it's it's crazy that like it's true there's no such thing as a new idea anymore, like right? All ideas sure. come from sure. somewhere and especially in a genre like thrillers where there are like yeah. established tropes, like very well-worn elements of stories so it's like it's hard to say like yes this is direct plagiarism but the similarities here are really uncanny and it's very unfortunate that her book which I think was originally published through uh, Kindle Scout which was sort of like the crowd the crowd sourced or crowd supported Amazon publishing platform like her book which is basically the same story the writing is just as good or better like her book did not sell close to 400,000 copies but the woman in the window did even though it's really the same story and it's done worse in the case of A.J. Finn
2: well I want to wrap A.J. Finn with one thing that he did that I just feel like we have to we have to realize that men do tell us what they're doing they tell us who they are (laughs) and (laughs) they do his two doctorates that he claimed to have—he claimed two PhDs—one from Oxford for a Highsmith dissertation, and one from the psychology department of an American university for research into Munchausen syndrome. <laughs> <laughs> Those were—that was his quote-unquote double doctorate. He liked to walk around calling himself a double doctor.
1: Also, yeah. on the the topic of uh, Highsmith, it's it's very interesting. That that was one of his claims, like Dan Mallory himself is a bit of a Tom Ripley.
2: Well, I wonder sometimes, I'm like, is this performance art? Right. What,
1: what are we watching?
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs> and you know, he's going to get some like new book deal or whatever, like a tall uh, memoir yeah. yeah. that's worth yeah. even more than his fiction deals. Like you yes. know it. And like, I have to be honest with myself that I would totally read that. <laughs> so I'm part of the problem. But uh,
2: <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Well, okay <laughs> <laughs> um, it's, it's demoralizing, but it it's is. it's what it
1: is yeah it's it's discouraging to know that like like for all of the agonizing that we do over how we are perceived that like for a guy like that it it doesn't matter. Like, he is successful maybe because he's like that, like, and we go out of our way to be agreeable and, like, so aware of, like, well, you know, this, it's a small world, don't talk shit about people, don't make up stuff that's clearly verifiably untrue, you know, like, that's a basic level that we operate at, like, don't do those things. And then, you know, he's laughing all the way to the bank.
0: Mm-hmm. It sucks. We're missing out. We should be scammers, too. Yeah,
1: probably. That's the moral of the story here, clearly. <laughs> Everyone's scam. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, do we want to talk for a minute about the uh, Scarlet imprint? Yes. Uh, okay. <laughs> so it, it was announced uh, not too long ago that Otto Penzler, who is the founder of... um mysterious press and owner of the mysterious bookshop in new york city uh is partnering with pegasus i think to create an imprint of uh like thrillers aimed at female readers uh and it's called scarlet
2: heavy (laughs) sigh
0: This makes me extra angry because the book I'm writing right now, the heroine is named Scarlet and I just, I don't know. I don't want like any association with this nonsense. Yeah. Um, is uh, it
2: because of the letter on her chest telling people that she's a big slut bag? <laughs> You'll have to read the book to find out, Wendy. Um,
0: no, but so Otto Hensler, there was like some scandal about him a few months back. Um, was it the MWA? Uh, the Mystery Writers of America or am I remembering that wrong? Uh, No
1: you're right so there was um, there was a a Grand Master Award that was going to be given out uh, and it ultimately was rescinded because there was a lot of backlash uh, against the person receiving it having had kind of a, a spotty record of like there were some allegations of racism and and whatnot, um, and I don't think we want to get into all of that. But no, no. but Google it. Yeah, Google Google that if you're curious. Um, but Otto Penzler took uh, it upon himself to to write a letter to the world saying how basically um, mystery writers of America had given in to like the unhinged lefties. <laughs> essentially uh and saying that political correctness had gone too far and that it was you know all the the group was no longer welcome in his bookstore
0: and he i remember in that letter uh, and again google it if you want the full the full story but he specifically attacked some of um the younger female authors who'd been speaking out against this specifically women of color yes uh, this is another person who you could just tell from the wording that he used in the, in the letter and the tone of it that he had like a lot of disdain for these young women of color and I mean, just sexism and racism, very clear yeah, <laughs> in yeah. this letter. And the fact that this person is now going to be heading up this imprint that's aimed at female readers i i just well i mean first of all the whole idea of an imprint that's aimed just at female readers is like kind of annoying on the face of it like i'm a little grossed out by that yes isn't
2: isn't it true i read like statistics maybe i think it was in um I, I'm going to say the book's name wrong, but it was like Too Fat, Too Slutty, Too Loud. Do you remember that book that came out? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. That's okay. a great book. There's a, there's a section on publishing, and I remember in that section she cites a, a statistic that says something, I think she says like 80% of readers are women, or there was like a huge uh, gender divide in how in how much people read books. Um, and that's a great book, by the way, if anyone's interested. That's a wonderful book, that, that one I just mentioned. But so I'm like if most readers are women anyway, aren't all Do you know what I'm saying like right. why? Well
1: right, like the the creation of an imprint f- specifically for women, you know, by someone who has disdain for women, yeah, is just so clearly like a money grab. Let
2: me, let me tell you what kind of books you need, ladies. Yeah. Let me tell you what right, they want. right.
0: An old white man heading this up, it's like your grandpa telling you what to read. Like yeah, what the hell. Exactly. If you're gonna have an imprint like this, like it should be headed up by women. Like yes. I don't believe that's even something that needs to be said. It just seems so clear. Yes. Like I would argue you don't really need an imprint like this in the first place because especially in psychological thrillers, psychological suspense, um, a lot of the books now have female main characters and are more female driven. There's a lot of women writing in this genre. Most of the readers are women. Like it's already happening. We don't really need
2: like a special imprint. Right. <laughs> but in any case, I don't really I don't really want to know what he wants what he thinks I ought to be reading. No. I'm not no. super interested in what he thinks is the proper kind of book for me.
0: I mean, I want to know so we can make fun of it, but right. I don't want to read these books and I I am wondering, yeah, like how many what female kind of assassins <laughs> do you
2: think there will be and
0: how <laughs> big
1: will their boobs be? Well, right, there's <laughs> you can just sort of like see that like um so the movie Captain Marvel has just come out and there's been a lot of backlash from men who feel threatened by this movie which is just ridiculous but you can kind of see how that's the type of of thing that this imprint is going to like you know in its mind combat you know it's going to not feature women who don't need men or who are stronger than men it's going to feature this very palatable to men version of a female led thriller it's not going to like be what we want to read what we talk about on this podcast, which makes it feel really cheap that it's like, oh, this is an imprint for women, except it's going to be the the grandpa's version of what <laughs> women want, what women are, and like the contempt that we see on the page in The Woman in the Window is like probably going to be what this imprint specializes in.
0: Yeah, I mean, I guess we'll have to wait and see. But the whole thing seems so ill-advised. And it just feels like, you know, when they take a product and, like, make it pink or something. So it's for girls now. Right. Like, that's how it feels. Exactly. It's this is, like, the big.
1: pigification of thrillers. <laughs> like, pass. Also, I think it's really interesting that during the, the backlash with the letter that he'd written, um, there were authors, like, pulling their events from the mysterious bookshop. Uh, including Amy Gentry, who we had on the podcast a bit ago, uh, and the the staff of the store, who is uh, they're lovely, ha- m- went so far as to like say, "We don't share the views of the guy right. who wrote the letter." Like <laughs> the store yeah, they like, tweeted that out, yeah. yeah. Which I so think like, is I just really, yeah. <laughs> we just work yeah. here. We don't we don't think those things. I think that's really remarkable.
0: Yeah. It feels like what's kind of going on in the world in general right now, which is this like last gasp of this old school, sexist, racist, patriarchal nonsense. Or at least like I hope it's the last gasp of it. But then we see guys like Dan Mallory, who are what he's like forty something, I guess. Like and they're younger. Oh no, Dan men.
2: Mallory's in his early thirties. Mm. <laughs> very good looking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. sure um no but seriously he's he's young oh no maybe he's like 39 now or something i mean he's he's not 40 i don't think
0: okay well he's like not he's like in his late 30s to 40 i don't know whatever
2: um, because once you hit 38, nobody wants to have sex with you anymore because you're disgusting. That's true. So he, <laughs> must disgusting. He, must he must be 37. He must be 37 at most. At Rippled most. with cellulite. Your veins <laughs> like a roadmap of varicose veins <laughs> underneath your skin. A slackened
1: belly. <laughs>
2: a slack belly. <laughs> so glad wrinkled. I have that to look forward to. <laughs> Orbital wrinkles all around your eyes. Like, <laughs> disgusting. Like
1: spokes. God, Your
2: whole body anyway. like tapioca pudding. <laughs> yeah it's like i want
0: to believe that this awfulness is sort of dying out but it just keeps happening i don't know it's like men are just terrible no matter how old they are i'm know. sorry <laughs>
2: having a hard time hearing you because the gelatinous flesh of my double chin is getting in the way of my microphone sorry I can't i can't <laughs> it's too fat too slutty too loud by um Anne helen peterson it's fantastic
0: Yes, That's everyone should read that.
1: I have actually not read that yet, so oh, I think I'm so good. going to uh, read that today.
2: Each chapter is like, there's a chapter on the woman who exemplifies that problem, quote unquote, mm. like the one that is too slutty, one that is too loud, and then it gives like a biographical analysis. It's mm-hmm. amazing. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh. And before we part, I think that it is worth uh, shouting out some of the young uh, women of color who write mysteries that uh, I guess Otto Penzler hates, Attica Locke and Steph Cha. So read their books. Yes, read their books. They're great.
2: Brilliant.